Once, while Jesus was standing behind, beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. I will never understand people. They're the worst. If you're a Seinfeld fan, you might remember this exchange between Jerry and Elaine. Described as a show about nothing, Seinfeld was mostly a show about complaining about other people. In this particular conversation, Jerry is complaining about those people that get on an airplane beside you and they don't bring a book or anything to watch or anything to do, and they just spend the whole flight bothering you. I don't like those people either. People are the worst has become this kind of laughing refrain in my household. Both Jenny and I work with people, and after a long day or a long week, there are usually a few stories about, people thing, about things that people said or did to make us laugh or groan or maybe fuss a little bit. And I would never talk about any of y'all, so don't worry about that. It might feel wrong for me to confess this so publicly, especially as a pastor, but you know it's God's honest truth. It is an unavoidable part of being human and spending time with other humans. We are all, as Simon rightly declares about himself, sinful women and men, constantly missing the mark of who God made us to be. And in the Latin of St. Augustine, we are all incurvata sensei, curved in on ourselves. We are all these conflicted messes of hurts and hopes and needs and expectations and ambitions and preferences and opinions and agendas. And when we come together, all of these things collide. Whether we acknowledge it or not, when we come together, there is always some negotiating of discomfort with each other. There's always some level of conflict between us, sometimes significant and mostly small, sometimes erupting to the surface and mostly just staying in our own hearts and minds. But it is always there. People are the worst. We all say it, or at least think it, sometimes laughing, sometimes with tears in our eyes. We can be incredibly cruel to one another. We can hurt each other by accident. We can inflict all kinds of physical and psychological wounds. 
And like a scar that toughens up the skin, our hearts can harden and our boundaries can firm up and we can keep people at a distance so that they will never hurt us again. Sometimes that is healthy and necessary. We have to protect ourselves from people that aren't trustworthy and that are harmful. But sometimes we become so disillusioned that we keep everybody at an arm's length. We all seem to be doing that these days. Our all-or-nothing, us-versus-them politics, the ever-raging culture war that wants us to fight about every single thing that somebody says or does, and the necessary separation that began this pandemic and sometimes continues so that we can fight this virus. All these things have converged to pull us further apart than we've ever been, except maybe in the American Civil War or in the 1960s. We have stopped believing that other people, especially people who were different from us, could possibly have good motives, could possibly have our best interest in mind. And this has led to another kind of burnout that we are all feeling. In the last several weeks, I've been referencing some mental health insights about burnout from this article in the Harvard Business Review from uh, Yu Su Hang and Kira Shabram. And I've been putting them alongside some spiritual insights from the story about Simon Peter. Hing and Shabram say that sometimes we are burnt out because we feel cynical. We stop believing that other people really care about us. We stop believing that other people could be motivated by anything but their self-interest. We feel burnt out on other people when our sense of connectedness is broken by something someone said or left unsaid, something someone did or left undone, And we become afraid to make ourselves vulnerable to each other again. People are the worst, so why bother? But sisters and brothers, if we are to be disciples of Jesus, we can't give up on other people. Because just as Jesus refuses to give up on us, Jesus refuses to give up on those other people too. Because He sees not just their worst, but their best their potential to love and be loved, their potential for growth and change. And you know what? He sees that within us too. Because sometimes it's not really them who need to change. It's us. It's our perception. It's the way that we look at each other. Jesus sees the good in other people that we can't yet see and wants us to see it too. If Peter thought that the wind and the waves of the Sea of Galilee were scary, he hadn't seen anything yet. He had yet to live his life in the scary crucible of a community of 12 men who Jesus chose, but who may not have chosen to be with each other otherwise. They did everything together, talking with Jesus and arguing with each other all the way down those dusty roads, spending long days with needy crowds that would crash on them like waves and test every bit of patience they had, not only with those in need, but with each other. Standing in the fishing boat, Peter had yet to see this clash of different personalities and power struggles that his fellow disciples would have, always jockeying for position with Jesus to be his right-hand man, or at least the favorite in the group. He had yet to see the way that when troubles hit, 
they would all scatter and betray Jesus and betray each other. And one who they thought would be their brother forever would turn Jesus over to the authorities. And he had yet to see also in all of this the way that Jesus was always trying to pull them in and pulled them close together in spite of it. Simon had yet to see Jesus touch lepers and other unclean people or embrace the demon-possessed or share the dinner table with tax collectors and prostitutes or argue with Pharisees. Now that stuff was scary. Many of these people that Jesus was trying to pull close to them who Jesus was asking Peter to help pull in were people that Peter had been taught to fear or to look down on or even to hate. But Jesus was always casting the nets wide, trying to pull everybody close into a new family who excluded no one. And Peter and his fellow disciples had no choice if they wanted to follow Jesus but to be a part of that pulling in. And if Peter thought it was hard work catching fish, he didn't know what it meant to struggle. He didn't know how tiring it would be to cast his net far and wide for people people who he didn't understand, people who made him uncomfortable, people who should have been his enemies, but that Jesus insisted on loving and including. And that was just as true about his fellow disciples as it was the scariest people that Jesus walked up to and talked to in the temple courts. Peter had not known what it would be like to spend long days with the crowds and long nights around the dinner table with tax collectors and Pharisees. We have all these stories from the Gospel of these people receiving the good news with joy and following Jesus. But you know there had to be a lot of other stories of failure. People saying no. People getting upset. That felt like what Peter felt like washing those empty nets on the shore with nothing to show for it. But Jesus knew that the only way for these seemingly unlovable people to tap into their original goodness, to tap into that love of a God that He knew that was within them, that the only way for the world to be saved was to try to draw all of the people in, like a fisherman who works all night to pull fish into a boat. My friends, this story, as Pastor Jennifer was saying, was, is not just a story for a long time ago. It's our story. This Catching people is not just Simon's calling. It's our calling. We are called to pull people close to Christ in us and to pull ourselves close to Christ in other people. And that means that we can't give up on other people. That means we have to believe in people's best and not just their worst. Hing and Shabram say that we're facing the kind of burnout that might be called cynicism, that when we stop believing that other people could possibly care about us or our needs, and not just their own self-interest, that the only way we can get out of that is by pulling people close. Taking a coworker out for lunch or doing something nice for a neighbor or volunteering with a bunch of other people that you might not know. This might feel counterintuitive. It may be the last thing you want to do, but When we don't want to be with other people, the best way to cure that is to be with other people. Like Simon Peter, this first starts at home. It first starts with those people that we are closest to. 
When we stop believing in our spouse or our child or our parent, it might be the hardest thing to try to pull them close. As I've said, some relationships are unsafe or abusive. We have to have boundaries to protect ourselves. And that means there's some people that we can't get close to anymore. And there are some relationships that are beyond repair or restoration. But in the relationships we have with most of our loved ones, even those that feel most conflicted and strained, healing can happen when we pull each other close. I'm not saying everything is going to be the same again. That's not always possible. But things can get better. When we finally decide to break the silence and pick up the phone and say, I'm sorry, can we start over again? When we make an effort to be together even though we think it will be awkward and we're not sure how it's going to go, Sometimes those who push us away the most strongly are the ones who most desperately are actually reaching out to us. I see this so clearly in my six-year-old son, Judah. As many of you know, he was adopted from China. And if you don't know, he was abandoned by his parents when he was just a few days old. He doesn't remember that, but something within him remembers that. He was left just outside of an orphanage. And there's this deep wound within him that I fear he will spend his whole life healing from because of that. Part of that wound and the wounds that came from his three years of being just one of too many children to feed and console and play with is that he is constantly wanting our attention. That's why I sit down on the floor during the children's sermon because otherwise Judah will come want to be with me during the welcome or any, in any other time I'm talking. And he's constantly wanting us to talk with him or be with him and play with him. And that comes out sometimes in behavior that feels like he's pushing us away when he's making messes or saying mean words or kicking us or saying, I hate you. And there are these times when he's crying and kicking and screaming and I'm on the floor trying to prevent him from putting a hole in the wall or hurting himself or hurting me. And he's shouting, let me go. Go away. But he doesn't really want me to let him go. There are times in my anger that I say fine and storm away. And he becomes even more inconsolable because as much as he's pushing away, he's actually reaching out and wanting to get closer. He's really saying, don't abandon me, Dad. Not all of our children have wounds like Judah's, but no matter how much our children seem to be pushing us away, they are probably at the same time, whether they know it or not, reaching for us and wanting us to pull them closer. And though not all of us have been wounded like Judah, we all have a wounded little child inside of us, don't we? And that makes me think that even when we tell each other, let me go, go away, that perhaps deep down we are really wanting to be closer. I pray that you will have the courage to pull your child or your spouse or your sibling or that person that you used to call your best friend back close to you. And the courage to believe that in doing so, Jesus is pulling you both close to Himself. And I pray that you will have the courage to look beyond your family or your close friend group, those people 
that think like you and talk like you and look like you that you're most comfortable with and try to pull in that person that we are tempted to call an enemy or that we think probably thinks of us in that way. Brene Brown says, move closer to each other. People are hard to hate close up. I would never say that I hated Steve, but I did type and delete several email responses that were angry, and I have to say pretty well written, um, before simply responding, let's have this conversation in person. Steve was angry because I had accepted an offer to host Shane Claiborne and a panel of exonerees and family members of people on death row and family members of those who have been, had been killed on death row. They were at the church to share their stories and Shane was at the church to share his Christian view of why we should abolish the death penalty. Steve was furious that the conversation was one-sided, that there was no one speaking from a Christian standpoint on the good of capital punishment. I did not know a compelling argument that a follower of Jesus could make for the death penalty until I rolled up on my road bike and Steve parked his motorcycle and we walked into the coffee shop together. It was across the table that Steve told me about his long career as a police officer. And he told me about his long career as a detective working with the DA's office in Lubbock, Texas with families of victims of heinous and violent crimes. And through his tears, he talked about their pain. He talked about their grief. He talked about their struggle to find closure. And he talked about their desire for their perpetrators to get justice. And I realized that on the other side of those angry emails was a follower of Jesus just like me trying to do the best that he could. A man who had allowed his heart to break open enough to carry the wounds of these families just as my heart had been broken open enough to carry the wounds of these people who had died wrongfully for crimes they hadn't committed or spent years and years of their life in prison before being acquitted. Steve and I didn't change our minds on the issue, but because he let me walk a mile in his cowboy boots, we became so much closer. He became one of my best friends and staunchest supporters at church, even though that was not the last time that we would disagree. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we, you can't make up in that situation. But I give thanks for that moment. And in my time here, I've had the opportunity to have some of these hard conversations with you too. And I'm so glad that I did because, because of them, I feel closer to you and I feel closer to Jesus too. My question this morning, friends, is who is Jesus calling you to pull close this morning? I know that it's scary, but I know that Jesus is saying, do not be afraid, just like He said to Simon. And God knows it's hard work, but Jesus is saying, I will make you a fisher of people. Jesus knows that people are the worst. 
but he also knows that they can be the best. Do you all remember that last story about Peter and Jesus in the Gospel of John? After Jesus was arrested, of course, Peter who said, Jesus, I'll never abandon you, ran away. And he denied Jesus three times. And then later on, he saw the empty tomb and he even saw Jesus when Jesus came to see him and his friends. But maybe, just maybe, Simon thought he was done fishing for people. And so he took his disciple friends out on the boat and they went fishing for fish. And do you know what happened? They fished all night and they didn't catch anything. And as the sun came up, they saw someone standing on the beach. And he said, children, you have no fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. Can you guess what happened? The nets filled with fish. Can you guess who it was? It was Jesus. And Peter was so excited, he jumped out of the boat in his clothes and swam to Jesus, leaving his friends to row that boat full of fish all the way to shore. And when he got to the beach, Jesus cooked some fish and some bread. And from across the breakfast table, Jesus pulled Peter close. Jesus asked Peter, the one who said, I'll never abandon you, who denied him three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus asked it three times, and Peter says yes with tears in his eyes three times. Peter gets more upset each time thinking that Jesus doesn't believe in him anymore. But Jesus does believe him, and he believes in him despite everything that has happened With every Peter, do you love me? Jesus was pulling him closer and giving him a new calling. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And you know what happens after that? Peter becomes that rock. One of those rocks on which God builds the whole church. The whole people of God. And you know what? The same can happen to you and to me. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on yourself. And don't give up on other people. Because Jesus never, never, never gives up on you. Amen.